welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the creative and curious world of work through monologues and conversations with creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and change makers. When I first saw the title, You Can Be the Best, I was simultaneously skeptical and curious. Somewhere along my journey, I stopped thinking that being the best was possible. Fortunately, there are thinkers, authors, and mentors like today's guest, John Ply, who can help you see yourself in new ways and help you know that you can be your best. John is the author of You Can Be the Best, Life Lessons from the Butcher and the Businessman. And in this conversation, he shares wisdom learned from his entrepreneurial and life journey and his father's journey from Poland to America. We discuss the roadmap for being your best, why we settle for less, internal versus external goals, the difference between effort and results, and how he replenishes energy through mentorship. Sprinkled throughout are stories of resilience, passion, and golf. Show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 744. John, welcome to Getting Work to Work. I am so grateful to talk with you today. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be part of it. Well, I'm excited to ask this question of you because I have a feeling that it's going to have some very interesting answers. But what are you endlessly curious about? Well, it's funny because I struggled with that. You know, this whole idea of curiosity and what have I endlessly curious. I'm a lot older than you and been through a lot. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I wouldn't define myself as a curious person. So I really struggled with this concept. Yeah. And, you know, from the moment I was young, it was just always, how do I get ahead? How do I do better? How do I, you know, succeed in whatever that meant? And I finally just realized, I think the one t- thing that I, I'm always curious about, and I never stop. <laughs> Behind me is a library of several books. <laughs> Obviously, I'm a golfer. I love golf. It's a passion of mine. Half those books up there are mental self-help type books when it comes to con- our, our thinking. Yeah. Why is it that throughout, what, it doesn't matter whether it's golf or job, interview, you name it, why our brains can be one day very positive and other days negative. And as you've learned, I'm sure negativity does not work. No. And we can get in our own way. So I'm constantly listening to and reading about that topic. I've done it throughout most of my life Hmm. because it's a challenge, you know, and, um, so I'm all, I think I'm mostly curious about the brain and how we think. Yeah. And why do we think the way we think, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that would be what I would say throughout my life and I'm still curious about it. And I've recently learned some stuff recently uh, kind of interesting stuff, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> well, what's interesting about that is like I reading your book you can be the best I mm-hmm. I got the impression that you were curious in so many ways, the way that you wrote it and the way that I engaged with it. I'm like, this is a curious guy. This is someone who's connecting with people, wanting them to connect to their passion. I'm uh, So sometimes if we can't articulate it, it's there under the surface for people to take in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I said, um, I'll be the first to tell you, you might dig out some more of that curiosity, but I've definitely always been someone who looks ahead. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. When you're curious, I think you have a tendency to look behind a lot. Like, why did this happen? Or why this? Why this? Yeah. And in my case, I've just always been driven that tomorrow's going to be the best day of my life. I love it's that. It's going to be a great, do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I've just, it's who I've been. And I think it's why and how I created two great companies. Mm-hmm. You know, how many people create even one, right? Right. You start from scratch. I mean, your business is a business, what you're mm-hmm. doing. 
Yeah. You started from scratch. You know what that's like to start from scratch. It still feels like it's scratch. I, <laughs> I know. Well, I did it twice yeah. from scratch. And what's unique, and you probably learned a bit of it about it in the book, and I didn't even figure this out till after I had sold my company and I was reflecting three, four, five years down the road, is when I realized, holy cow, I started two companies from scratch <laughs> with one common goal. We can't be the biggest, but we can be the best. Mm. And Chris, we became the best in the industries and they were different. One service, one product, we became the best. And during the time of doing it, yeah. I had no clue that we had. <laughs> it's only after I look back, I go, holy, we, we accomplished that goal. Yeah. Hence it led towards eventually that had some bearing on writing the book and of course the title of the book. <laughs> right. But I love what you just said, John, of sometimes the pursuit of the best, we don't realize what we're becoming. And maybe that's a good thing because then we wouldn't get egotistical. Chris, it is a good thing because when you want to become the best at anything, I don't care what it is. Mm -hmm. If you start to settle and think for a moment that you have, <laughs> Now the others can catch you. Yes. But when you continually strive to be better, whether it's your business, in my case, it was every year. We mm -hmm. always talked about, all right, what do we have to do now to be better and better yeah. and better each year? You don't ever really get the luxury of stopping. If you do, you probably won't ever get to where I did with my two companies. Mm -hmm. It's more of a, it's a result that just happens because you're so focused on it's like you seven years now. How do you keep making your podcast program? Mm -hmm. You know, you should have one goal for, you know, um, your, your program to be the best yeah. out there. <laughs> keep striving for it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's, it's best to not think about it, but it's also certainly, the goal that I set, yeah, it was the only goal I could set. I said, hey, these industries existed for many years. So how is it possible you could actually become the best in, in that? It's possible because I did it twice. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And, and something <laughs> happened as I, I really wrestled with this idea of being the best because I think somewhere along the line of my journey, I told myself that it was impossible, that I couldn't <laughs> be the best. Therefore, I just had to, I had to be the best I could be. Yeah. So like we pay, play these mental tricks of what it means to be the best. And, and what I'm in, what I'm loving about your book is it, it's questioning for me this concept of the best. Well, you actually touched on something for yourself that I have given the roadmap. Okay, that book has the roadmap in it from yeah. start to finish, because it really does boil down to Chris Martin becoming the best Chris Martin you yeah. can be. You don't know how good that can be, <laughs> no. but you can become the best Chris Martin. Mm -hmm. All right. And I'm still at age 68, striving to be the best John Ply that I can be. Yeah. And so I'll share a little tidbit with you, please. You know, I was reading about your history and coming up with a name for your podcast and all that stuff. When it came time to finalize the name for our book, I worked with scribe media and they put me in touch with a title expert, <laughs> right. just as you got your title from the gal that was very ill. Yeah. And you're like, I love it. Done. That's the, that's it. Right. Mm -hmm. Getting work to work. You can be the best. I always, we always knew life lessons from the butcher and the businessman was going to be the subtitle, <laughs> but the title is the tricky one. And when we went when we came up with that title, she looked it up and it was available. 
And we're like, how is it possible this book, that title could be available after all these years? <laughs> and I think I asked her that. You know, you know what she said to me, Chris? What's she that? said, John, the promise is so big, no one's ever tackled that promise. Ooh. <laughs> I love Think that. about it. Yeah. That's a big promise I'm making to the readers of my book. Mm-hmm. And nobody, she said, nobody wants to go down it. There's books out there. Oh, you can be the best painter or the best artist or the best, you know, whatever. Cook. (laughs) Yeah. Right. But I'm telling everyone, I don't care who you are and where, where you are in life, you can become the best. Mm -hmm. And it's about becoming the best Chris Martin, et cetera, John Ply, et cetera. Yeah. And there is a roadmap on how to do that. And it's in there. And what I love too is is you reframed that being the best is not something that you arrive at once, but it's a continual journey. So you're constantly reevaluating what's next. Like just like you said earlier, being curious about the future. What is that next point of greatness that we're going to be the best at? How about not being satisfied? Mm-hmm. Don't get satisfied. Just oh. like you said, you, you're. Do- don't get satisfied. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. that's why I'm telling you the truth. That's why we did what we did. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy to even think what we did. Mm-hmm. To, if you could do it once in your life, and I'm here reflecting in my older years, gosh, we did it twice. <laughs> Holy cow. You know, so yeah. there is so much... I can't wait for you to finish the book because there's, in fact, I've done a little revision. It's not a second edition, but as good as this book turned out to be, because that was part of the challenge when I started doing the book, my my writer from Scribe, Kelsey Adams, said, you know, Kelsey, when first manuscript came in, I'm like, this is really, really good. But Kelsey, the title of the book is, You Can Be the Best, which means what? <laughs> The book has to become the best possible book we could write. So that journey continued and continued and continued. It took a long time. And I swear to you, I thought it was at (laughs) 99.8 based on my revisions. And they're the final revisions. We're now at 99.9. I promise you it's at (laughs) 99.9. And I don't think I'm touching it ever again. (laughs) I love that. So. What do you think it is about the concept of the best? You mentioned that it's a promise, but what mm-hmm. is it? What keeps us from that mindset and pursuit of being the best? Why do we settle for less? I certainly have a much better idea of why that is when I look back on my own life. And then, of course, even some of the mentoring I've done. I assume you got into a little bit of the story about Lilia Vu in my book. Mm-hmm. I think it's a combination of not knowing or willing to set good goals, number Mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. Two, I don't think people dream big enough. Yeah. And lastly, and this is a interesting one that uh, the three of them, it's sort of in this world of these three things, fear of failure. Mm-hmm. Fear of failure, I think, prevents people from setting the giant goals and dreaming as big as they should. Mm-hmm. We don't like, no one likes to fail, and we, we fear that part. Mm-hmm. And when fear gets in there, it holds us back, and I think it keeps people from maybe, you know, achieving mm-hmm. uh, their ultimate success. Interesting. I think the one thing that you touch on is goal setting. And what I wrote down that blew my mind was the difference between internal goals and external goals. And we Uh kind of live in a society where external goals are more favorable and sexy (laughs) than those internal goals of what we're driving toward our own life and what we deem as important. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up, okay? It's very um, insightful on your point because 
the external goals. And sadly, in the society we live today, which is why as you go on through my book further, I take on defining what true success is. Yeah. It's not the external. Chris, I grew up poor, mm -hmm. very poor. Yeah. And I'm blessed. I feel blessed that I did because mm -hmm. I, you appreciate so much more as you go along. But what have I learned? The external stuff is just stuff. <laughs> now, it doesn't mean they're bad things, okay? Whether the external is your dream job, your external might be the dream house to raise your children in or your dream car. Those are, and they are looked favorably upon by today's society. They say, oh man, look at his home, look at his car and, you know, um, hey, I know billionaires, Chris, <laughs> that aren't successful. Yeah. In my opinion, because they're not happy. Yeah. All right. So I took on in this book, by the way, the true definition of success. Yeah. Okay. And so the ironic thing about what you asked between internal and external is this you can't get the external without the internal. Ooh. You can't. Which is why if you flip through and look at the chapters of You Can Be the Best, mm -hmm. I have titles like Be Kind. Mm. Another chapter, Be Generous. Another chapter, Be Honest. Mm -hmm. These are all inter Be Grateful. These are all internal. Mm-hmm. And without those, Chris, I'm here to tell you, you don't get the other. Yeah. And if you do get some of the other, you still aren't going to be a very happy person because there are people who they're driven for the external and they don't get the internal. Mm -hmm. What comes with the internal, here's the best thing about getting the internal right. You get all the external. Yeah. But more importantly, you get huge numbers of friendships and acquaintances. Yeah. I am so blessed <laughs> with the thousands of people I know around this country. It doesn't matter where I go. I pretty much have a contact almost <laughs> anywhere. Yeah. That's, that's the gift, the ultimate gift that comes from get the internal right. The external will take care of itself. Yeah. And and what I love about that, John, is throughout the book, you're weaving your father's stories in with your own. And I imagine that he provided the the picture for that internal satisfaction and pursuit more than anything else. Chris, I just wish more people could have ever known my father. Regardless that he's mine, we all have our relationships with our parents, and hopefully they're good, some not so good. This man, and the reason this book got written, mm -hmm. for two reasons. I wrote this book for only two reasons. One, to inspire others mm -hmm. to dream big. Yeah. And two, to leave a legacy for Ziggy Ply. He deserves one mm -hmm. because... You are totally spot on. My internal self was created because of his incredible levels of kindness, generosity, gratefulness, belief, faith, all that stuff. And with what he went through yeah. versus what we've gone through, Mm -hmm. he's still the most successful person I've ever met <laughs> because of where he started and where he ended up. It's not about dollars. Mm -hmm. The guy was a butcher, you know, yeah. but you probably saw he was a prisoner of war for five and a half years. And yeah. Chris never did he complain about losing his years between 19 and 30 
the, probably the greatest years of your life, my life. He never complained. All he ever talked about was how blessed he was. Yeah. Right. Holy crap. He <laughs> had amazing. so much he complained about. Yeah. He never did. So you're absolutely right. He, what's funny is he was right there in front of me. He taught me so many of my initial lessons and I saw him. And yet it wasn't until my late thirties, almost 40 years old, when I, his shining example was always there that I finally figured out the missing piece of the puzzle. Because here I had already had a second successful company already starting to really take off Mm -hmm. and a great family and kids and friends. And I was still feeling this emptiness in my side inside. I was like, what the heck is going on here? Why? Why am I feeling this? So I went introspective, internal, as you call it. And you know what? I went down the path of purpose of life. Why are we here? Yeah. And I went down that by myself and it's a scary road, Mm -hmm. but I came out of it a much better human being because I learned the purpose of life is only one thing to do good while you're here. Mm. That means being kind and generous and grateful, helping others. What do you leave back on society? It's truly the reason I wrote the book. Yeah. I don't know if you, well, you probably read through the introduction. I didn't write the book to make money. Most people do. (laughs) Right. I didn't. It's part of the giving back. And my father, who had nothing, constantly was being generous, constantly being kind. And I don't know if you got to the story about him at the hospital. If you haven't, I won't even spoil it for you. What he did in his later years, he's untouchable. We can never quite get to his level of goodness. But I will tell you and your viewers and anyone who reads my book, that is what we're here for. Do good. And that's as simple as, it's as simple as what? Greeting someone in an elevator. Opening the door for someone or letting them go first. There's so many things, acts of kindness you can do for people. And that leads to what I call the ultimate level of success. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been quite a journey for me. I just love, I, I all I see is the visual image of you feeling that emotional connection to your father, even in this moment. And I just, I just love how powerful of a mark of a legacy he left on you to the point that you're willing to share it. You know what? It needs to be shared, especially now these days, it needs to be shared because there's so much, I don't know what you want to call it. I'll use the word hatred, you know, in this world today, which is so sad. This book needs to be get out there in a big way. I had someone read the book. I mean, I've gotten, I told you earlier on some of the responses I've gotten. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget this one came early on gentleman. He's like 80 years old, feel very with it. His second sentence said to me, teenagers and other lives could be salvaged from reading your book. Mm. That's a powerful statement, right? Yeah. Lives salvaged, teenagers and other lives salvaged. There's something, this book is special because I think, especially today, all ages, all ages need the reminder of what made us great as people, as a Mm -hmm. country. And it's the goodness piece. Yeah. So... There was a a story that you told that really struck me. And it was that moment post-World War II where he's given a choice. Poland, Australia, or America. 
And the and the impression that I got from the way he told the story was the only reason he chose America was because the ship to Australia was full. <laughs> yep. And yep. I I just I I went down that road of like if he had gotten on that boat to Australia, everything probably would have been different. It's amazing the inflection points of life. Right. I mean, it's a different country. He doesn't meet my mother. I don't get born, you know, yeah. I, I, you know, who I don't exist, Yeah. but he got on that boat because truthfully, that's the reason he went the boat to Australia was, and there was nothing available back for him in, in his home in Poland. It was still communist rule. Yeah. So he came to America at age 30 and he didn't speak much English, Chris. Yeah. And then to, to see what he did just to, you know, to survive. And, you know, they talk about, racism and mm-hmm. and prejudice stuff today can you even imagine coming to america in 1950 at age 30 with a name like zygmunt plivoczewski and didn't speak english can you imagine mm-hmm. the fun that people made of him yeah and my dad had the ability to let stuff go in one ear and out the other and his goodness kept him going. Yeah. And he kept going and going and going. And <laughs> like I said, in my definition of success, he's pretty much untouchable. Yeah. You know, it's not about how many dollars you have. Those, you know, wealth is nothing wrong with wealth, but I define it in the book as what? It provides great comfort. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what wealth does. And I don't, I think people should strive for wealth if that's, you know, certainly not, not a bad thing. Right. But there's so much more. There's yeah, more. There's there a lot is. More. Another thing that I wrote down, John, is that effort is something that you can control, but results aren't. And I liked that part of the story, too, because it's something that... We want to give minimal effort for maximum results in society today. Whereas the, the, the story that I'm getting is that results come and go, but how you give it your all is the constant. Yeah. Um, there is no shortcuts. <laughs> there are no Episode shortcuts. over. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what I'm talking about, you yeah. know? You only remember your first year tackling on this project. Mm-hmm. How hard was it? You could have quit along the way quickly. I re-recorded the first episode like nine times. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Good for you, though. Because what? You were striving for this to be the best you could do. Mm-hmm. There are no shortcuts. Anyone who wants shortcuts... You know, forget it. You're just never going to achieve whatever it is you're after. Mm -hmm. I don't care what part of your life that entails. There are no shortcuts. You have to give. And and listen, we're all procrastinators. There are many days I didn't give it all. Right. It's it's impossible. Right. But when the roadmap is there for you, we can fall off, but we can get back on Mm -hmm. and that's what it's about you're gonna fall off i'm gonna fall off we're gonna have days where look back and say god i was not a very nice person today yeah but you get back on and you'll hey listen i'm human let's keep on going i know the map i know the path yeah and um yeah effort without the effort you're just never gonna get there i mean you just you know, I always hear that the younger kids today in this generation, they want instant gratification, instant this, instant that. Rarely, if ever, can that happen. It just yeah. can't happen. You got, you got to earn it. And you know what? Truthfully, again, if you don't work hard to earn it, <laughs> you don't enjoy the accomplishment as much. Right? Right? <laughs> so it's stupid to want something without the 
the challenges that you have to overcome. I mean, the, the challenges I overcame, you know, I was too stupid to even realize what I was even doing when I started. <laughs> I started my first company. The prime rate was 21%. Prime was 21 in 1981 when I started. Companies were going out of business left and right. And here this young lunatic, 25-year-old, is going to start a company. Yeah. You know, it didn't <laughs> stop me. You know, so, you know, it's, it's crazy as you look back. That's when you think you've got a little more wisdom. Yeah. As you look back, as you examine your life today and giving the effort, giving everything you've got, how do you replenish your energy when, when you need to? You know what, Chris, I'm fortunate that Gosh, from a career standpoint, from a family standpoint, from, you know, so many areas of my life, I've been very blessed and have, quote, succeeded in many of them. So I replenish by spending time now mentoring. I mentor those that come across my radar that want to be part of my mentorship not the best thing to sign up for because I'm, I'm I, I can be pretty honest and you know and but it's for their benefit mm-hmm. and um, so I'm getting a lot of of that through doing individual mentorship I don't take on a bunch but one or two here or there and of course the book became replenishment in a big way and it's not stopping because now I'm into that phase of marketing. I'm trying right. to, that's why I want to do more podcasts. So people mm-hmm. hopefully hear the story and some of the stories, the little tidbits that you've already touched on. So I want to give it my best effort because again, I, like I told you, I'm not doing this to make dollars. Mm-hmm. I want to touch more people. The person who thinks they can't get ahead, Chris, I want them to somehow get a copy of that book into their hands because it doesn't matter. No one is starting lower than one where my dad did. Yeah. And he made, he made it, (laughs) you know, remember how people were moaning and groaning about the month or two of COVID lockdown. Mm -hmm. My dad had five and a half years in a German camp doing everything he was told. Mm-hmm. every day just to survive another day. Yeah. So, right. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very lucky. And then of course I have my passions too. And golf is one of my great passions. <laughs> and, you know, the, the story of Lilia in there, I mean, unbelievable where she was a few years ago, ready to quit golf. Mm-hmm. And Chris, she's number one in the world today. That's amazing. She won yesterday, by the way. Oh, wow. Her fourth tournament. That's she won awesome. yesterday. And she's got one more tournament next week, and the season's over. She'll probably end the year the best player in the world, the most money won this year. She has a chance to go over $5 million this year in earnings. Wow. And yet she's, she's a beautiful woman who is grateful and appreciative of everything she's accomplished over these last three plus years that we have worked together. And um, so that's kind of, again, my, my replenishment. I got (laughs) some yesterday watching her knock off that tournament. (laughs) That's excellent. There, I love how many stories there are in your book about the people that you've mentored along the way. And there was one that really impacted me as well as it was Luke where he had lost his passion for golf. And the secret that you gave him was to have fun again. And it's so hard. I imagine he was so frustrated that you, that he wanted him to have fun. And he's like, I don't want to have fun. I want to (laughs) just, you know, move on. And right. I just was so struck by that. And you know, what I have found is when I take on these various people, they're all different. They all have different internal makeup, you know, 
And it was sad when I learned, when I dug inside of, of uh, Luke, that he had lost some of his love for golf, something he loved as much as anything in the world. But his experience just was so, it went just so wrong, you know, in his college that he had lost a lot. And his confidence and his worse than confidence. Confidence is one thing to lose, but you can work hard to get that back. But losing some of your love mm -hmm. for one of your passions, that's a different tact. So I had to work on that. And again, I was very successful with Luke. It didn't didn't take long um, to kind of dig into him a little bit. His parents were absolutely blown away by some of the stuff he and I did together. They were stunned. In fact, they even sent me a note one day. This is after just a couple months. And they said, John, if you never spoke to Luke again, you have done so much. You have given us our son back. Oh, wow. That? That's powerful. Yeah. He is happy. He is, he's like a different person. Mm. All because, and Chris, like Lilia, Luke, mm -hmm. The lessons in the book are the lessons I shared with them all, with both. Another chapter, never give up no matter what. We've all heard never give up, right? right. Never give up, mm -hmm. work hard, never give up. Mm -hmm. the, the second three words are more important. No matter what, never give up no matter what. Mm. Those are the three more important words. Yeah. That's how you... That's how you move forward and continue to reach your dream. Whatever that dream is, never give up no matter what. Because yeah. my dad, did. if he gave up <laughs> and he could have, again, we're back to, I don't exist. My brothers and sisters don't exist. You know, so, yeah. It really speaks to the need for being or having caddies in our life. That know the course, that know what would be the best club to play. And I I just am I love the the metaphor of the caddy as a, a way to impact our life. Even if if we even if we never play golf in our life, we can learn from the stories of your caddy experience and the ways that you have shaped people and the ways that we can be shaped. There's no question there's an amazing corollary between golf and life. And it was funny because as I was writing my book, we didn't really have any golf in it. And I finally said, I said, Kelsey, John Ply can't write a book without golf. Because as you learned, I caddied just to pay my way to high school because mm -hmm. my parents couldn't afford my high school. Then I get a caddy scholarship to go to college. <laughs> and then, of course, golf has been given is given so much to me. In fact, it's one of the early lessons Lilia got from me during a time she was about ready to quit golf. And I said to her one day, I said, Lilia, you have to understand something. Golf owes you nothing. Mm. In fact, you owe golf. You've got a four-year degree paid for at UCLA because of your golf skills. You've won numerous tournaments in you know, high school, college, notoriety from golf. And now you're potentially pursuing this for your career. Golf owes you nothing, Lilia. Mm. That was a good lesson for her. So that when golf knocks you down, which it does all the time when you play that goofy game, <laughs> when you realize it doesn't owe you anything, the ball just sits there, the flag is still in the same place, it doesn't owe you anything. Mm -hmm. So you're going to go pursue that for a career? Remember that. I correlate it with life, Chris. Life owes us nothing. Mm -hmm. We owe life we owe life. We owe being alive and able to breathe and eat and have fun and meet friends and create a career and a passion. And 
Life doesn't owe us anything. See, that's, people need to know that too. Yeah. And there's so many correlations between golf and life. Yeah. You know, honesty. There's people who cheat in golf. <laughs> yeah. Guess what? When you cheat in golf, your golf ability and everything else isn't true. If you cheat in life, you aren't going to become successful. You're not going to be liked. Mm-hmm. You're not going to reach your potential. And it's just, you know, we did weave golf in, and I think in a beautiful way. And the I best agree. thing, Chris, Kelsey didn't golf, which was great. She, <laughs> we had to write it in such a way that even a non-golfer could, could understand what you pulled out of it. There's some mm-hmm. wonderful, you know, analogies between what happens on a golf course, what happens in life. Yeah. And you just said something, John, that, you say in the book as well, you said creating a passion. And I love that mm-hmm. distinction between finding a passion and creating a passion. How, how do you distinguish between those two? Well, oftentimes passions aren't even hard to find because somewhere in, in your early days in life, you get passionate about things, whatever it might be. In my case, it was basketball. You know, that was my passion, (laughs) you know. And sometimes passion can develop just for things you experience or you've experienced something new and you go, oh, my God, I love that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pursue that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then I think the point you're kind of touching on is how I didn't know I could be an entrepreneur and this idea of running a company. Mm-hmm. So I, in, in, I basically created a passion that I didn't even know I had. You know, maybe out of necessity, I actually created a passion just by having to try to build a company, you know, from one employee and up. I did become very passionate about my business. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a sexy business. It wasn't <laughs> glamorous. Okay. Trust me, when you're blending and packaging powdered food products, that's not glamorous. <laughs> but you know what? I became passionate about the business, about my employees, about my clients. So I created a passion. Mm-hmm. And you know what? By creating that passion, guess what it did? It brought great success slash wealth, whatever, to my, my family and other people, I mean, if you could have seen the lives that were changed by that company. Yeah. I mean, in fact, Alfonso Acevedo made the book. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you read about him. Yeah. But Alfonso, to me, is the post is the modern day Ziggy Ply. This guy was 16 years old when he showed up at that company. <laughs> and he and I golf now every summer. We golf two or three times. And he's retired. He never had a single job other than the one. He worked longer at my company than I did because he (laughs) stayed on after I I sold it, you know? Yeah. But yeah, you can create these. And you know what? What's really cool? Alfonso is now passionate about golf. Go figure. (laughs) Here's a kid who didn't speak English when he showed up as a 17-year-old Hispanic from Mexico. And he's retired. He Mm. built his life from that, that company. So it's, you can see how it's easy to almost create a passion just by what you're doing. Yeah. You know, I don't know that doing podcasts was a passion of yours on your radar, but it was not right. Yeah. You've created it though. And how passionate are you now about what you're doing? I would say very passionate because I get to talk with people like you. I get to learn on a day, almost daily basis and and be challenged to rethink how I approach things like creating a passion versus finding one. And let me tell you something, Chris. I'm jealous of what you're doing. Hmm. I really am. I think what you do and other podcasters do, I think it's awesome. Your answer was fantastic. You know, I've flipped through a lot of the ones you've done and you know, to be around these people with all these incredible stories. Mm-hmm. 
I wish I was your age and doing what you're doing. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious when I say that, you know, yeah. people see my life and they go, man, John, I would love your life. Fortunately, we have only so much time on this earth and, you know, I'm, I'll trade you, I'll trade our ages right now <laughs> and, and, and do something new because that's what you're, you know, you've got that going right now and you're very fortunate. Yeah. Well, and I think that speaks to when you're creating a passion, you're less concerned about comparing the found passion to what other people are doing and aligning it with that, what you describe as an inner faith. And I think it's that creating the passion and aligning it with that inner truth, that inner faith of what's possible. No, there's no question about it. And, and you, you're on that side of giving back, by the way, with what you're doing, you're giving back to others. And that's a huge key to the, that's kind of that missing piece yeah. of the puzzle. I, I, I've talked about achieving true success. Mm -hmm. Are you doing something for society? Are you giving something back? Cause we've been all blessed, right? Mm -hmm. Now you're giving back by providing this product for people who what they have to have the wherewithal to go search it out, learn about it, listen to these podcasts, whatever, but you are doing something good. Yeah. And that's, that's huge. And that mm -hmm. gives you great fulfillment. I'm sure every single week <laughs> goes by, you know, so. It's certainly entertaining at times. That's for sure. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I'm curious about something, John. Sure. How do you tune into your internal world when the external world is so loud? And at times, like just like when the music started playing in the background and no one's home and you didn't do anything, yeah. it's just yeah. like there's all of these things around us that can distract us. How do you just kind of like tune into yourself? Mm. Oh, boy. You know, um, it's... I think for all people, it's hard. There's so much distraction out there. Mm -hmm. You know, the media is so lost in space these days. They, <laughs> you know, the information we receive through whether it doesn't matter where it's at, it, you just don't even know what to believe. So there's just distractions. And I think you got to be very careful what you listen to, what you read, because in the end, you better think for yourself and, and really kind of, Think for yourself. Don't, you know, follow what your heart and gut tells you about different topics or whatever. You know, distractions are a problem. There's more distractions today than ever in our lifetime or our, in our history. I think sometimes it might be best just to turn it off, tune it out. Mm -hmm. You know, you get people who get hurt being on social media, mm -hmm. you know, things like Facebook and Instagram can be really a good product but it often can be just devastating to people because mm -hmm. they get hurt because they're not included. Maybe they think they're not included because they were left out of something. And, <laughs> you know, so it goes back to Chris, find your passion, put your efforts in it. Don't get distracted by other people, what people tell you or what they think. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Trust what you're doing and don't let people talk you out of, what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Just follow your, follow your instinct and try to avoid the, the distraction. <laughs> I love that. It, it goes back to, I think golf as an analogy for life where when you go golfing, you are going to a place that is scenic. It is quiet. It is set apart from everything going on in the world and it's purposeful to push everything away so that it's you that club and at times that stupid ball <laughs> that has yeah, yeah. it's a mind yeah. of its own yep yeah. <laughs> yep yeah. yeah. um no that's exactly right and enjoy the moment stay present yeah those are some of the things i've learned you know, from the studies on the brain and whatever, the more you can stay present and be aware, whatever it is you're doing, 
mm-hmm. golf especially, <laughs> you know, but take, don't miss out on the beauty. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When you travel, absorb the beauty that's out there and, you know, um, yeah, that's good. Well, John, as we wrap up our time together, what wisdom yeah. would you like to leave with the audience? Apart from the last 50 minutes of wisdom that you've imparted. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Chris, (laughs) I have something. And it didn't make my original manuscript. Hmm. But it's in the new manuscript, the revised version that is now out there and available. Okay. Something hit me along the way that I think will make you think and make others think. Uh, It hit me last winter, or call it spring. My manuscript was already done, and something happened one night. And I said, (laughs) OMG. Chris, how many times have you said you're amongst friends or whatever, and you go, and you meet a new person, and you start talking to that person, and you go, oh, shoot. I know that person and this person. What a small world, mm-hmm. right? How many times do we say <laughs> it's such a small world, right? Very often. <laughs> Very often. I'm going to leave you and your listeners with a great piece of wisdom. It's only a small world for good people. Ooh. Think about that. Wow. It's only a small world for good people. That's a powerful. This hit me like a ton of bricks. And I can tell from spending the day with you, you're a good man because what you're doing and you have probably a lot of friends Mm -hmm. and through friends, you've met other good friends. Mm -hmm. But trust me, that wouldn't be happening if you're a bad person. That's such a powerful thing. It's only... It's only a small world for good people. Like if you had a microphone in your hand, you could just drop it at that point because that is amazing. Wow. Right? Wow. You're going to be thinking about what I said here now. Uh Okay? Yeah. Because even even my writer, Kelsey, when we did the revisions, I told her about this. And she just stopped. She goes, oh, my, that's a powerful statement. Mm-hmm. And I said, I want you to figure out where can we put it in the book? Yeah. It's in. Yeah, it's in. So, <laughs> and I want young people, think about it. It's so important for young people mm-hmm. because if they follow that wisdom, they will have a very small world eventually as they continue on their journey. Yeah. Because they're going to meet other good, good people meet other good people. Good people if they meet bad people, what do they do? They go, uh, I'm not going there anymore. <laughs> exactly. Right? right. And usually when you go, but when you meet good people, you become friends. Mm-hmm. And then through them, what happens? You meet some of their friends mm-hmm. and on and on and on it goes. And then the world becomes small. I love that. Well, John, yeah. I've been looking at your bookcase right behind you this whole time. Oh, oh if okay. You, if you were to pick a book off that shelf that the listeners would enjoy and learn from, what what would you pull off the shelf and recommend? You know what? In the last month or so, maybe it's been two now, I've been following uh, a podcast. It's in the golf world called Five Clubs. And the host is a friend of mine now. He and I have gotten to know each other. His name's Gary Williams. And I've kind of gotten a little bit hooked on, you know, listening to his show and his guests. And a month and a half ago or whatever, he had a guest on, his name is Dr. Raymond Pryor. (laughs) And he wrote a book called Golf Beneath the Surface. Ooh. This book, he is so smart. He answers a lot about the things we struggle with, where our mind works. And he actually, in this book, Chris, educates us 
about how our mind works. And when we don't understand how our mind works, we don't know how to handle the different emotions and feelings and stuff that affect us in our life. Now, he used golf examples. Uh, one of the best examples I can share from you in this book, I haven't finished the book. It's a, it's a tough, re- it's not the easiest read, but it's worth the effort. Mm. He talks about the difference. They were talking about how people confuse nervousness and anxiety as like the same thing. And he goes on to explain that those are two completely different things. Oh, interesting. And he educates us on how the brain works. He explains that we are we cannot prevent nervousness or nerves. It's all part of our the brain the way it works. You can, however, deal with nerves, such as the butterflies or clammy hands or whatever. Nerves and being nervous can actually help you perform. Some of the greatest performances ever in athletics or other things, you can be nervous, but Mm -hmm. it brings out adrenaline and dopamine and you get something by being nervous, right? Right. Anxiety, he goes on to say, the smallest amount of anxiety will hurt whatever performance you're trying to achieve. Wow. Anxiety is not good. Anxiety is something that's not even real. Hmm. We create anxiety about some potential future event. So here we're creating all this anxiety and what we're creating it for hasn't happened. It's not, it doesn't exist, but we are creating it you follow yeah so that's just a tidbit of raymond pryor's book you know if you want the cliff notes version (laughs) you just go pull up he's got a podcast now i learned on that show with gary williams listening to it that he's got his own podcast and i think it's called golf beneath the surface but even though the golf thing sometimes people go i don't want to touch it because it's golf and i don't golf right never believe that stuff this guy is a brilliant psychologist and like I don't know what you call him whatever they study the mind right yeah so that would be that would definitely be a, a recommendation it's fresh too the book is new nice. golf beneath the service by Dr. Raymond Pryor and catch his podcast with Gary Williams oh my god it is <laughs> it, it was like I'm sending I sent it to Lily I sent it to Luke I'm like you guys need, you guys gotta listen to this guy so That's yeah, awesome. that would be my recommendation, at least currently. Awesome. Well, John, thank you so much for being a guest on Getting Work to Work. And I'm if there's one thing that I'm going to be thinking about, it's what you said about curiosity. And that curiosity is much about looking back as it is looking forward. And from my perspective, you are one of the most curious people I've met for that reason, because it's not just about looking back, but looking forward. So thank you for, for illuminating that for me. Well, you're welcome. Cause like I said, that one was really kind of tossed me, you know, I I struggled with that one, Mm -hmm. but I think you've brought that now full circle to where it is both. Yeah. It's being curious about the past, but being curious going forward and, and keeping, and I think being curious is, is also just, be open, right? Yeah. Be open to new things and mm-hmm. learning from others. You know, there's so much good stuff out there, you know, if you're open to it. Exactly. And I think that's a, a great thing that you're doing with this idea of being curious. So I wish you a lot of luck, continued success with your show. Thank you. And it's been a pleasure to be on it. There is so much in this interview with John and I hope you'll revisit the sections that impacted you most. I'm definitely thinking about what he said regarding why we settle for less. Things like not setting good goals, not dreaming big enough, and fear of that F word, of failure. Specifically, the part I'm thinking a lot about is not dreaming big enough. How can you? How can I? How can we as a society 
dream bigger, you know, solve massive problems, move beyond the issues of the day. I think the answers are buried throughout the interview, yes, but most importantly, it requires each and every one of us to listen to each other, to roll up our sleeves, and to get to work. Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life.